Thanks, you guys. Good morning. Good to see you. Hey, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 15, if you wouldn't mind turning there with me in your Bibles. <clears throat> John chapter 15. Uh, last week, we started uh, a short three-week series uh, called Unashamed, following up on our series, Unavoidable, Believing the Gospel. And uh, excited about that. I'm excited about uh, the, the prospect of living unashamed and, and learning what that means. Uh, last week, we talked about being unashamed of our faith that is in Christ, because our faith is in Christ, and, and it can be in no one else. Like, we, we can place our trust somewhere, and, but, but the one that is going to prevail, the faith that's going to endure, is a faith that is in Jesus Christ, because he has the power over Satan, sin, and death, and he has the victory over that, that we might also have the victory. Amen? So our faith, we should live unashamedly in our, uh, because of our faith in Christ. This week, we're going to be looking at uh, our, our living unashamed because of our obedience or in our obedience. We obey because we're unashamed, all right? So we're going to look at that in a minute, too. We'll have a slide up on the screen with some notes. But last week, I, I showed you some things uh, from my own life that I was unashamed of, right? I, I have a list and some pictures, and I showed you some things. You laughed at me, and that was okay, all right? You love me. I know it. And, and that's the truth about things that we are unashamed of. Someone is probably ashamed of it. Someone probably doesn't like it. Someone probably is going to reject it. But it shouldn't stop us from embracing it. It shouldn't stop us from from loving it or devoting our lives to it. And I'm not talking about the things I'm going to put on the screen. I'm talking about Jesus. Amen. We should devote ourselves to Jesus because we are unashamed. And if someone else is ashamed, that's okay. We, we are going to live unashamedly so that people could be drawn to him. So here, here are a few of mine. This is my first one. This is my fashion preference. And I, I realize, you know, I'm not wearing plaid today, like the first time in however long. Is there a Dodgers emblem in there? Oh, man, how that sneak in there. Yeah, I, I like plaid, and I like camouflage, and sometimes I wear them together, all right? And I'm not ashamed of that. I'm okay with that. Right? I, don't, I don't wear tie-dye shirts, but that's okay. No, we all have our own preferences, right? In fact, these are things sometimes that are passed down from, like, our, our dads, right, or our parents or our grandparents, preferences like that. Listen, my son, my son today is wearing camouflage, so in church wearing camouflage, and that's just a style preference. Last week, he probably wore plaid. Um, we, we like that. My daughter has camouflage clothing. And I just, I love that. I love that. So the, these are two preferences I'm unashamed of and I often wear together. The next one is this. Chevrolet, right? This is a Chevy truck. I'm a Chevy guy. And uh, unashamedly, I, I just, I drive Chevys. And it was one of those things that came down from my dad, right? My dad liked Chevys and uh, we're Chevy drivers. And so I was a Chevy driver and that's what I embraced. And I've done it ever since. And uh, now my dad became a trader and bought a Toyota, I, you know, and he keeps threatening me that he's going to try to pull me out of ditches in the snow. I just, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So Chevy trucks, that's another, something. I, now this next one, listen, we all have things that we embrace that others do not, okay? Just, I need to preface it with that. And uh, it's okay if you don't like this, but my family, this, my, my family, my side of the family, this is what we do. When we have a piece of chocolate cake, we put it in a bowl of milk. Oh, I, you're like, oh, no, right? No, this is, this is, hey, don't diss it until you try it. This is great. This is one of those delicacies, like a family birthday party, chocolate cake in a bowl of milk. So I just want to let you know there are some things I'm unashamed of, and, and I want to share that with you. I want to be vulnerable and transparent, and you can continue to make fun of me, okay? <laughs> you put Cheerios in there, yeah. Do Cheerios go in milk? That's good. 
This is our, this is our, uh, our points today on, on the screen. Unashamed to obey. Uh, one, because it shows whose I am. Uh, because it, I live by faith. I'm unashamed to obey. And because his light shines in the darkness. I'm, un, I'm unashamed to obey. Because it's about his light being shined in the darkness. So we're going to pray and we're going to be in, uh, in John chapter 15 together. And we'll get to work, okay? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love for us. We thank you that we have a God who we don't have to be ashamed of. A God who went to the cross to take the shame and take the guilt that we might have life. We worship him today. And today we ask that your spirit would be with us and in us, moving, directing us towards truth in your word, convicting us of sin, convincing us of truth. God, and moving us into a deeper relationship and devotion to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're in John chapter 15, and I, I show you things that we're, I'm not ashamed of because I want us to be unashamed of Jesus. And, uh, and, and it's in a much deeper reality, in a greater way, in a more eternal way, we talk about Jesus, right? Chevys come and go. It, it, those preferences may change, but ultimately Jesus is the same today, uh, yesterday, today, and forever. So we're in John chapter 15. And if, in fact, we're going to just jump to the last couple of verses in chapter 14, if you would, there with me. So we're looking at, uh, actually, just verse 31. Jesus is speaking. He says uh, in verse 31, On the contrary, I am going away so that the world will know that I love the Father. Just as the Father commanded me, I do. So I do. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm, I'm doing what I do. I'm obeying the Word. I'm obeying the Father because I want the world to know that I love Him. I am not ashamed to obey because I know I'm the Father's is what he's saying. So he establishes this relationship of, of trust in, in the Father and saying, I'm going to obey because the Father wants me to obey. And when I obey, I know that it, it pleases him. And he goes on in verse, uh, chapter, chapter 15, verse 1. Let's read that now. It says, I am the vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the true vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are, they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. And look at verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. See, we are to be in Christ. We are to be in Christ. And being in Christ helps us understand whose we are. Now, today, in, in this day and age, in this culture, there's a lot of people who, and, and, and kind of a, almost the reality of growing up and going through different life stages, it, it said you need to figure out who you are. Like, like, figure out who you are. As a teenager, right, as an adolescent, uh, children hear that or adolescents hear that. And here, here I'm going to give you some, some trendy things that people would say you should do or, or ways of living that the world say, says you should do. By no means do I feel this is biblical, okay? So I'm not giving you advice from the pulpit, 
I'm giving you information what comes from the world, which you already know. You're going through adolescence? Try new things. Just discover who you are. Becoming an adult? Going through college, right? The only responsibility you should take upon yourself is to find out what brings you the most pleasure, what you like. Are you having marriage or relationship problems? It's okay. You're different people. You've grown apart. A change in scenery to discover who you are is in order. Midlife crisis? Reinvent yourself. Be somebody different. It's okay. Are you retired and looking for a way and to fill your free time? You feeling a little empty? Use the old hobbies that you used to. The ones that define who you are or defined who you were. Yeah, then you'll, then you'll figure out who you are. See, the, these are things that are really said. You go to Barnes & Noble or you go on Amazon and, and you go to self-help. This is what's going to be said. Try to figure out who you are. Reinvent yourself. Change the other person. But for you and I as Christians, we must not understand who we are, but who we were and whose we are now. See, I am Christ. Who you were, or sorry, who you are, is not who you were. And it's thanks to who? It's thanks to Jesus. It's thanks to Jesus. We were created by him and for him. We were made in his image for his glory. You see a pattern going here? It's not about you, it's about him. And when he went to the cross, he bought you at a price. You are no longer your own. You are his. And my faith, when it is placed in Jesus, guess what happens? He begins to do a work inside of me. See, Jesus is the one that does a work in me. It's not even about me and how good I can be. It's about what Jesus can do in me and through me. And here's the result. The result of being in Christ, identified with him and knowing whose I am, then I unashamedly reflect him in my obedience. I unashamedly attribute all glory to him because I am in him. I am in Jesus. There should be no shame in that because I'm his. I'm not trying to figure out who I am. I know who I am. I'm in Christ. Who I was, I also know who I, who I was. I was a self-centered sinner in need of a Savior, in need of Jesus. Not in need of reinventing myself, not in need of filling my life with new hobbies. My heart was desperately wicked and beyond a cure, and I needed Jesus. I needed Jesus. This last part of chapter 14 and the first part of chapter, or in the first passage of 15, I, I think this is what Jesus is saying. I think he's saying, as I complete my work in the next few hours, right, the work of the Father, uh, I become the source of all life and all fruitfulness. I become the vine. Right, Jesus is saying, I'm going to become the vine. I'm the source. You can do nothing outside of me. And he goes on to say, I think he says, my Father is going to be tending this vine. He is seeing to it that the vine will bear all the living fruit that he intended to bear. See, God, the Father, is going to produce this fruit in us through Christ, the vine, to us, the branches. And, and Christ would say that this, this includes, this attention from the Father includes attention to me and attention to you and I, the branches. Right? God, God the Father, is going to give attention to us. Where we need to be pruned and things that branches need to be cut off. Sometimes that won't feel good. But ultimately, 
God is producing the fruit in my life. God is going to produce the fruit in your life. And we should live unashamedly in that because we can obey God and we know whose we are. We can live unashamed. Go ahead and flip over to, uh, to Galatians chapter 2. So we're in, we're in John now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, then Galatians. And we're in chapter 2. It's a short book. It's really easy to just flip right past. I want to mention, we, we, we should be unashamed to obey because we have been united with Christ and we are being nourished from him and, and pruned by the Father. We should be unashamed to obey because of that. Our obedience is the fruit that he produces. I'm not ashamed of whose I am. See, there's something that happens. When you and I came to that point in our life where we knew we needed a Savior, where we said, it's not, who I am is not good, and I can't reinvent who I am. I need Jesus to do that. When we, when we did that and we trusted him in faith to forgive us and to become the Lord of our life, when we, when we did that, he gave us his Holy Spirit. He, he cleansed us, first of all. He removed all sin from us, that there was no longer a checklist needed or necessary for us to fulfill. That, and he knew we couldn't fulfill it anyway. But he gave, us, he gave us this assurance through Christ because when Christ died on the cross, he did it all. He paid everything. He did all the work necessary. And then, he, on top of that, he gives us his spirit. So he did all the work, and he's continuing to do the work. And you know what? And Scripture says there's this word predestination. In Scripture, it's called, it means predetermined. Do you know what God predetermined for those who would believe on his son Jesus? He predetermined to conform them into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what God is going to do. For those who believe, for the whosoever's that believeth in him, he is going to conform them into the image of his son. So you and I, if we have a true, right, saving faith relationship with Jesus Christ, God had, had done the work on Calvary. He did the work through rising from the dead, and he's continuing to do the work through his spirit in us, conforming us into the image and pattern of his son. He's producing a what? A fruit in us. And it's the fruit of who? The Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is produced. It's not, I can't even take credit for it. God's doing it. And he continues to do that work. I'm unashamed to obey because I know whose I am. I know that I am in Christ. And if you and I are in Christ, we should not be ashamed of what he is doing in us. Amen? Let's go to number two. I'm unashamed to obey because I live by faith. I live by faith. We're in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. <clears throat> we're going to read through 21. We were Jews, or we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that no one, Jew or Greek, no one, is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the, uh, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Let's stop there for a minute. This is huge. As Paul writes this and, and, and explains this to us, you and I, we, we just love accomplishing lists. 
We love earning our way. And I said it last week that, you know, in, in a lot of instances, that's okay. We can earn our way, right? We get credit for certain things. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, there is salvation in no one else. No one, not even you, besides Jesus, right? It's only in Jesus Christ. And, and all the works in the world will never accomplish all the works necessary. You see, what, what Paul is saying and what he understands about the law, the law was given to show us that we are, were, and will forever be a lawbreaker. That you and I will never, ever be able to accomplish all that God wanted me to, me to accomplish. And if you think you can, if you've already messed up, it's too late. Right? If you've, if you've already messed up yesterday or two weeks ago or when you were 20, it's too late now. Because you have to keep the entire thing. So Paul says, no human being, no one's going to be able to do that. No one can keep the entire law and be justified by their works or be justified by the law. Because when you keep a checklist, you've got to keep it complete. And when Jesus died on the cross doing all the work, he did keep it. He did check off everything. And he said, it's finished. It is done. So our faith is in Christ, not in our works. Verse 17. But if while seeking to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found to be sinners, is Christ then a promoter of the sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I have tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. Now what he's saying is that sometimes we, we try to pursue Christ, but then we put this law back in, in front of us. We put this, these rules back in front of us. That this is the authority we have. That, that we go to the authority of Scripture, and, st- and not just the authority of Scripture, the authority of the law to accomplish righteousness. And that, my friends, is self-righteousness, which is sin. There is certainly authority in the Scriptures. But we cannot accomplish the law, and it will make us a lawbreaker. In verse 19, for, though, uh, sorry, for through the law I have died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. In, in who? In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not set aside the grace of God. For, for if righteousness comes from the law, then Christ died for nothing. I don't set, set aside the grace of God because it, the grace of God doesn't come through the law. The grace of God came through Christ fulfilling the law for us. And if I try to set up the law again and try to follow the law, and if it's about following the rules of the law, then Christ died for nothing. Because what he said is it's finished. It is done. And we can trust in what Jesus did on the cross. That we can have forgiveness through what Jesus did on the cross. If I lived my life by the law, it would be my undoing. If I tried to keep the law, it would be my undoing. There is a heaviness that is present when someone is challenged with or, or, or given the responsibility to keep the law. You and I would go home every night stressed, despairing, depressed, and, and feeling far from God because we didn't accomplish all he intended for us to accomplish. We didn't do everything that we were supposed to do that day. Now, I'm not talking just about obeying God from the heart and doing the best we can to love and serve him today. I'm talking about being someone who says the law is how I become righteous. If you think you become righteous from following the rules, every night, every night for you will end in despair because every day you will have failed 
to do that. And the weight of that and the shame of that and the guilt of that keeps us paralyzed and pushes us farther from God. What God did on the cross, he said, I love you this much. And I'm going to do all the work necessary so that when I get down from here, I can just give you a big hug. And, and I can love you like a dad. And you can follow me like a, a father. And embrace me every day. No, you're not going to be perfect, but, but I was. So that's okay. So he, what Jesus wants is for us to be free from the guilt. Free from the shame. And when we're free from guilt and free from shame, then we can live unashamed. See, when that heaviness and that burden is gone, now I can truly be unashamed. If that heaviness and that burden is still there and I'm trying to accomplish it on my own, I will have to be ashamed every single day because I cannot accomplish it. But Jesus can, and Jesus did, and Jesus will continue to accomplish it. We can have freedom. We can unashamedly live by faith because Jesus did all the work necessary. Look what James says in, uh, on the screen here. James 2.18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I will show you faith from my works. This whole passage is great and we'll probably talk about it more tonight at Bible study here. Six o'clock if you're interested. What James is saying is this. It, it's the whole righteousness thing does not come from works. Works come from being made righteous with Jesus by faith. Our faith in Christ makes us clean, and our faith in Christ leads to a response of our lives of, of works, of good, of obedience. So why can I be unashamed to obey? Because I live by faith and not by the law. Okay? Number three, finally, I can be unashamed to obey because his light shines in the darkness. Because his light shines in the darkness. Jesus in John 8 says this, then Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Listen, at some point, at, for all of us in this room, at some point in our lives, we were in despair. We were discouraged. The world felt like it was pressing in around us. It felt like we couldn't breathe and there was not enough we could do to earn God's favor at some point in our lives. Now, for some of us, we, we understood at that moment that there was a holy God and we were face to face with him and that light shined on our hearts in the darkness and pierced it. And we responded and we turned our hearts from ourselves to God and we opened ourselves up to his light and his light is life and it changed everything for some of us. I would say for some of you, maybe you're in that place today of just despair and darkness that you feel like you can't breathe because the world and life and pressure is pushing on you. Here's what I'll tell you, that Jesus is the answer. He is the light of life. Let his light shine and let him change everything because he will change everything. Believe on the Lord Jesus and be saved. Set yourself aside and say, I can't do it. Listen, you're in that place right now. You already know you can't do it. That's why you're in that place. And when we come to that place in our life, you might look like you have it all together to everybody else, but you know. You know, and, and I've, I've experienced that, and I know. I know there was nothing else that could, could quench that thirst. Nothing else could take away that darkness except for Jesus Christ. And he does. He is the light of life. And when, when he opens up 
our hearts to his marvelous light. Our sin is exposed. Our shame is exposed. Our guilt is exposed. And then he draws us into this redemption and forgiveness through his son, Jesus. He draws us to himself, forgiving, making clean, making us whole again. And now in Christ, we have the light of life within us. So what do we do with that? Well, we live unashamed because his light, what? His light shines in the darkness. Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew. Going backwards here a little bit, right back to the Gospels. First book of the New Testament, Matthew. Bet you can't guess who this was written by. Matthew. Luke, yeah, Luke. No, there's another one for Luke, too. We're in chapter 5 of Matthew. This is where Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, great, by the way, great study, and I, I know Hoyt has been teaching on that uh, on Wednesday nights for quite some time, and if you're interested in being a part of that, uh, you can catch up with him and that crew that's here on Wednesday nights. They meet over in the uh, education wing in room 1 from 6 to 7.30. <clears throat> so we're, we're going to look at, uh, the Beat- or just after the Beatitudes, on the Sermon on the Mount in verse 13 of, of chapter 5. Here's what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, I want to I mention something here about salt. Because we're supposed to be a flavor, right? We preserve. And, and sometimes you rub salt in the wound. It's, it's a healing agent, but it hurts a little bit. We're to be salty. People should feel something and, and taste something like when they're around us. Like there's something different here. I feel a little uncomfortable. Why? Maybe I need to check it out. But the way salt loses its saltiness, it, salt does not become not salt. Okay? The way it be, loses its saltiness or effectiveness is being polluted with some other agent. In, in these times when salt had a contaminant in it, it was good for nothing because you couldn't separate that out. So what they did, they literally took the bags of salt and they, they threw it along the path, along the stone. So when people walked over it, it just kind of ground up and ground into the ground and went away. It was gone. It was good for nothing except to be trampled on by men. So for you and I to remain salty, part of it is that we, we want to and we're unashamedly going to obey God. And our actions, right, in the way we conduct our lives and live and think and talk, what we let influence us. Because we want this salt to be a pure salt. We want people to be drawn in towards Jesus and to Jesus because of our lives, not, not pushed away. We want our saltiness to be effective and not contaminated. So that's, that's the salt part of this. Now we're going into, into the light because Jesus is the light of life. He's inside of us. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. The redeemed, those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, those of us who who God has changed and, and is working to produce a fruit from within, for those of us who who know Jesus, we are to be a beacon of light shining into the darkness. Amen? There is not a call anywhere in Scripture that says, try to blend in really good. 
Now, I know, I know I love camouflage, right? But that's not what we're talking about. We should be starkly contrast to the world. And, and there are times where the world and its culture, it, it, it flows up and down, right? Sometimes it does things that seem close to God and, and what, what God would probably want. And, and then other times it veers far, far away from God and embraces something totally different. And the world, as it does it, expects everyone to blend in and do the same thing. But we, who are the people of God, are to be a city situated on a hill, a light, a beacon, a lighthouse shining into the darkness that is a rescue center, that is a hope center, that is a place that will illuminate sin and show, show falsehood, but will stand for truth and will embrace people where they're at in their deepest, darkest need and point them to the hope that is in Jesus Christ. We are to be a city situated on a hill. Now, that applies for us, by the way, as a church, right? The church. First Baptist, because that's our church, that's where we're at, should be a city situated on a hill. People should say, man, they're, they're a little different over there. I kind of like it. What's going on? I need to check this out. I'm, I'm tired of the same. I want different. But individually, this should be lived out. You each, I am a city on a hill. You are to be a city on a hill, a light shining in the darkness that, that will draw people and point people to Jesus Christ. Because there's no other name. He's the only one. I want to live unashamedly. I want to obey unashamedly because I know that his light, his light pierces into the darkness. It shines in the darkness. And his light changes everything. We're to be a beacon of hope. We are to be different, not the same. The world doesn't need more of the same. The world needs Jesus. Amen. I'm going to show a scripture, James, or I'm sorry, uh, nope, that's not right. We're going to turn our Bibles to 1 Peter. First Peter, it's almost, it's, it's towards the end of the Bible, okay? It's almost uh, like three books before the last book of the Bible. <clears throat> so you find Revelation, just flip backwards a couple books. If you go to, found James, you've gone too far. That's what I just did. First Peter in chapter 2. Listen, don't be ashamed, by the way, if you don't know the books of the Bible. Okay, you should, you should tell your kids they should be ashamed if they don't know them. I'm not, I don't want to tell you to be ashamed. Just, we're going to learn them. We're going to learn them. Get to know them. Try, try them out. I know Eva, are, Eva, are you here? Where are you at? Eva had her Sunday school class in here this, during Sunday school singing the books of the Bible. They're going to do a special music for us coming up here soon and, and sing to us the books of the Bible. And we learn a lot of things in song. Maybe you should try that. But Anyway, it's, it's good stuff. First Peter chapter 2. We'll look at 2 verses 11 and 12. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents to abstain from fleshly desires that, that war against you. Let's stop there for a minute. See, this is that countercultural thing, right? The world wants us to be the same. And I see so many Christians often say, well, I, I can just blend in. They're a business owner, I'm a business owner, right? They're a school teacher, I'm a school teacher. They're a housewife, I'll be a housewife. We'll just, we'll just look the same and be the same, but this shouldn't be. We, we can be a business owner, we can be a teacher, we can be a homemaker or, or whatever, but... We ought not be the same in conduct. What we value, what we esteem, what we prioritize is not the same. Some days it may be, but ultimately it needs to be what's set in Jesus and on his word that we raise up. This is what we lift up as the standard. Jesus is our standard. And we are to be, he says, dear friends, I urge you as, as aliens. He's not saying just try to be foreigners. He's saying you are. 
That because we are Christians, because we are in Christ, we are not of this world. Amen? We're just passing through. If heaven's not your home, Lord, what will we do? We are aliens and foreigners. We're strangers. We're in the world, but he says, don't be of the world. Be different. Be okay being different. Abstain from fleshly desires that war against this. So I want to live unashamedly, but I can't live unashamedly if I start becoming ashamed of my conduct. If sin is knocking at my door and and if sin is, is trying to entice me into something and I fall into it, shame comes out of that. And it doesn't help me live unashamed. Verse 12. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that, in, or, so that in a case where they may speak against you as those who do evil, they may, by observing your good works, glorify God on a day of visitation. That when they see us, they, they may not agree with us, they may not like how we live or what we look like or how, how, how we dress, whatever, it doesn't matter. But when we stand for Jesus, one day that light will shine. And one day they will give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Our hope is that day is sooner than later for our friends, our family, for our country. But it starts with you. Individually it starts with you. Change starts with you. Change starts with me. And then it goes into us. And God does something amazing. But we ought to be living unashamed. Peter was teaching that when the grace of God visits the heart of an unbeliever, they will respond with a saving faith because they have witnessed it and seen the glory of God and the light of Jesus Christ in people who have gone before them. See, when God changes a heart, there's a story to that change. And that story always includes somebody else's faithfulness, somebody else's else's obedience, somebody else living unashamed. Listen, I'm unashamed to obey God because God in Christ changes everything. He changes everything. And the word tells us that our obedience will point people to the glory of God. I don't want to point people to me. I want to point people to Jesus. I want to live unashamed. How about you? Amen? All right, let's stand and have prayer together. Father, we, we want it to be said of us that we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we know it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. We trust you. We thank you for taking the shame, for taking the guilt. God, we thank you for accomplishing everything of the law that needed to be accomplished so that we could live free of shame, free of guilt, free of condemnation. And God, as we live free, that we would freely choose to obey. We thank you for that choice you gave us. Guide us Direct us, live inside of us, and God, produce a fruit that is unavoidable, undeniable, and God, that we are unashamed of. May it be a light and a beacon of hope that draws the world to Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as we close today, it's always our opportunity to respond. 
to respond. Maybe God did something to you, to you, for you, whatever this week. Maybe God's doing something in you, in you now. We worship him right now. We sing it out and we, we let him know how we feel. Or we pray where, right where we're at. Or, or someone next to you needs prayer, hey, pray. I'll be up here if you'd like to pray with me. Whatever God is putting on your heart, however he needs you to respond right now, respond unashamedly. All right? Let's sing.